everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication, and this week I'm continuing my journey into the world of Joe Hill, specifically uh, looking at he and Gabriel Rodriguez's comic book masterpiece, Lock and Key. Um, so now we're on to the third volume of Lock and Key, um, Crown of Shadows, and I'll be talking about that tonight as I record this. So uh, before I get there, I uh, just wanted to read some uh, listener email, um, and you can always write to me at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com um, so you can get all of your thoughts to me. So up first, we have Jake Sherman, who writes, Hi there. I have been listening to your great cast since your initial release of It. For me, King's best will always be his short stories. I guess that started when I watched Creepshow way too young before picking up his books. Anyway, I'm up to date with all of your reviews, and being an avid comic book fan, I was excited to see you getting around to Lock and Key. I know you were a fan of Hill's Nosferatu. I was wondering if you would ever get to his prequel comic, Wraith. Welcome to Christmas Land. It's a great read. Look forward to hearing all your thoughts on Lock and Key as a whole. All the best, Jake. Um, Jake, thank you for writing in. Um, Yeah. I did read Wraith. I remember enjoying it. Um, I don't remember who the artist was off the top of my head. And I apologize, guys, if you hear clicking and clacking, though. That's the sound of my furry co-hosts keeping me company. But uh, I, I don't remember the, the artist for Wraith off the top of my head. But I remember that there were some images and some splash pages that were really detailed and inventive and horrifying. Um, if I remember correctly, there was one that was kind of like a, you know, how you go to a restaurant and, you know, the, the, the I don't, don't want to say it, like, you know, on the back of like the kids menu, there's that little activity page and there's like the maze and, you, you know, and they'll give you crayons and you have to make your way through the maze. I, I, I could have sworn in Wraith there is a panel that looks like that, just a splash page that looks something like that in Christmas land and it's super creepy. Um, so yeah, no, I, and I think they're actually mining Wraith. If I remember reading correctly, they're, they're mining Wraith, um, to, to, to fill out Charlie Manx's backstory in the Nosferatu adaptation on AMC. So yeah, no, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I don't know if I'm going to be reading or if I'll be reviewing it for, um, the podcast, maybe someday. I just don't have plans right now, though it is good. I, I do, I do enjoy it. So I'll never say never. Um, and then you mentioned Creep Show, which is really perfect timing because this past weekend, uh, for those of you in the know, um, it was San Diego Comic-Con. And though I live on the other side of the country as San Diego, and um, even though I, I would never want in a million years to actually attend San Diego Comic-Con, it's it, it, it way, way too much. I do love this time of year. It's like a little mini Christmas in a little mini Christmas season in in July, um, you know, because you just know that you're going to get a bunch of fun geeky news stories coming out in the in the world of comic books and cartoons and movies. And there was a lot of cool stuff that they dropped, um, from the, the the Top Gun Maverick trailer to the It. Uh, Chapter two, second trailer that we got um, to all of the Marvel announcements from Kevin Feige rolling out phase four. There was just a lot of cool stuff. And one of the things that released um, over this weekend was the Creepshow trailer, which looks so much fun. There's a level of 
what I would call winking cheese with it um, because it, it knows exactly what it is and it, it, it has uh, definitely that feeling of classic creep show, but also that, um, like I said, the, the winking cheese of like Tales from the Crypt. It knows what it is and it knows what it wants to be. And that's why I like horror so much because within this genre, there's just so many different flavors of, of what you can get out of your, your horror. So, um, definitely, yeah, do yourself a favor. Check out, uh, the creep show trailer. It's a lot of fun. I don't have shutter. Shame on me. Shame on me. I should have shutter, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, um, I'm looking forward to this and, uh, anyone that does have shutter and does check it out when it comes out, let me know. Up next, we have Andy Pritchard who writes, hi, my name is Andy and I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, but recently moved to Texas. I wanted to write to say thank you to an amazing podcast. I've been a Stephen King fan since I was about 10. I went to a co-worker on my grandpa's, and he was a martial arts teacher, and I thought that was so cool. He was a bigger guy. I was bigger. It was really cool to watch him move the way that he did. While hanging out, I looked up on his shelf, and he had all these red leather books on his shelf, and I was fascinated. He explained that it was Stephen King, and Stephen King was his favorite author. I don't know if you've seen the series, but they're really nice. That was my introduction to Mr. King. I also want to mention that I haven't heard you mention any of the audiobooks at all. I love the Dark Tower series on audio. I think that Frank Muller should be given a lot of credit for what he did with Stephen's work. Also, I'm new and then sadly just now listening to your podcast, and I'm glad that I found them. Uh, having read almost everything on my Audible app is Stephen King. I'll keep listening. Thanks again from a constant listener, Andy. Andy, thank you for writing in. Um, I've mentioned the uh, podcast's um, I'm sorry, the, the audio books a couple times on the, on the podcast. I have not listened to the audio books, not because I have anything against audio books. Um, it's just a matter of, of timing and preference. I prefer to actually just either hold the book in my hands or hold it on my phone. But I, I like that. I like my eyes to absorb the, the, um, the information and let my mind do the trick. Uh, when it comes to the time that I would spend otherwise on listening to a book on tape or a, um, an audio book, um, I spend listening to podcasts. Um, so it's just a matter of time and preference, which isn't to say that at some point I won't get around to it because I do really want to check out this Frank Muller uh, audio book because I've heard great things. And I also want to read or listen to the Stephen Weber um, It, because I've heard great things as well. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's just not in, um, in my plans anytime soon. So guys, that's all I have for emails right now. But like I said, if you have any thoughts that you want to share about Stephen King, please write into stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. And I have a new iTunes review that I would like to share. And also, I can't do this without you guys. So please write in when you get a, um, you know, write in a review when you get a chance if you like the podcast. And so we have from Andy Tony, great podcast for anyone that loves Stephen King. I've read a lot of Stephen King books, and I love that I can drop in to get a quick review of any book now that he has reviewed basically everything Mr. King has done. He's great and gets the point and really makes it a lot easier to understand all the connections between the books. It's a fascinating world. I'm new to this podcast and have been soaking all of this up. Um, the knowledge is a great addition to anyone reading King. Thanks. Um, and Andy, thank you for, for writing in. That's, um, like I said, I, I can't do this without you guys. And um, a little review goes a real, real long way.
Okay, guys, so without uh, any further ado, I'm going to get into my review of Lock and Key, uh, Chapter 3, Crown of Shadows. So from the Wikipedia summary, in Key House, Nina Locke wakes up Tyler to tell him that Brian Rogan was hit by a car. Nina plans to go to Provincetown, and Tyler agrees to look after Kinsey and Bodie. Elsewhere in the house, Dodge uses a ghost key to become a ghost and speak with Sam Lesser, who has remained off the grounds since he was separated from his body. When Dodge asks Sam if he has found the Omega key, Sam tells him to find it himself, breaking ties with Dodge. As ghosts, the two fight before both entering Dodge's body at the ghost door. Sam attempts to strangle himself and Dodge, but is eventually overpowered by Dodge. Nina hears the noise and arrives to investigate just as Dodge escapes using the Anywhere key. Dodge quickly realizes that in his haste, he left behind the Echo key, which Nina takes. At Lovecraft Academy, Kinsey Locke is approached by Scott Cavanaugh, who offers to escort her to the Drowning Cave, where he claims her father's name is written on the wall. Kinsey agrees and set out with Scott, Jackie Vita, and Scott's friend Jamal Saturday. Arriving at the cave, they find that the water is higher than they expected, Kinsey and Scott eventually find her father's name. Being so deep underwater, Kinsey is unable to read much. The part of the catwalk that Jackie and Jamal are on soon collapses, sending them into the water. Kinsey and Jamal boost Scott and Jackie up onto the catwalk support bars to get them out of the water. Not expecting to survive, Kinsey and Jamal share a kiss before Kinsey realizes they should pull up the remaining catwalk down to use as a ladder to climb out. Her plan works, and she is chastised by Jackie for her recklessness, though they soon make up. Scott tosses his glow stick into the water, where it falls past a list of names before landing to a corpse and a door with the Omega symbol. In Key House, Tyler and Bodhi discover the giant key as Detective Daniel Matuku arrives to speak with Nina at her request. He assures her that Brian Rogan's attack was unrelated to the attack on the locks by Sam. She presents him with the Echo Key, referencing how Sam was fixated on finding a couple of old keys. As Nina prepares to leave, Kinsey discovers several empty liquor bottles in Nina's room, confronting Nina about her alcoholism. Kinsey is ordered outside by Tyler in an attempt to defuse the situation. Outside, Scott and Jamal arrive to bring Kinsey a gift, a life preserver. Nina later phones Tyler from a bar, claiming to be in the car on her way back home. He tells her to stay in Provincetown for the night. Dodge, having entered Key House, finds the shadow key and uses it in the shadow crown. All the shadows in the key house come to life under his command and attack Tyler, Kinsey, and Bodie. Issue number one. Um, So Nina stops into Tyler's room to inform him that she'll have to go to Provincetown due to Brian's car accident. And at this point, we realize that Nina is not looking well, holding the wine bottle in one hand and an empty wine glass in the other. And through the supernatural shenanigans on foot and the alcoholism of Nina running rampant, Hill, with a quick little line, reinforces the humanity of it all when Tyler, upon hearing that Brian might not wake up, kicks himself for not having returned a recent phone call. And that is such a human reaction that, yes, you know, there there are these magic keys and, you know, you survived two... um, murder attempts on your life. Um, but, but through it all, there, there's this, this little glimmer of just real human emotion that you're going to blame yourself in some way. Um, I just, 
this is why I like Joe Hill. It's because he is able to add these little flourishes that ground it in, in a, a recognizable uh, emotional um, reality. Clever nods and reveals keep on coming as Gabriel Rodriguez provides plenty of shadows in the background to foreshadow the living shadows we'll soon see. So the t-shirt that Zack is wearing, that of one of the Pac-Man ghosts fitting because he is both a ghost in a sense and as well someone about to use the ghost key. And when he does, we see that there's something um, different um, within his spirit. You know, rather than being an incorporeal version of the body, there's a insectile looking objects where his spine should be made up of yellow eyes and legs it's really unsettling and as his spirit flies about the land we see the thing's needle nose has pierced the spot where zach's heart should be and what we get is such an imaginative sequence that allows gabriel rodriguez to shine as he illustrates the return of the spirit of sam lesser who engages in an astral fight with dodge each manifesting spiritual weaponry, a chainsaw, claws, and true to Dodge's past, a fencer's foil. It's a truly thrilling sequence. The ghosts both fight for the body of Zack, and once in possession, Sam not only learns the truth about Dodge, but he swears in that moment to become his enemy. With the previous volume concluded with the realization that Rufus has abilities that could stand in the way of our devil, and now it looks like help will come to the lock children from the least likely, least likely of places, the man who had killed their father. The issue concludes with Nina finding one of the keys in the spot where Dodge had dropped it. Issue 2. At school, Tyler Locke is talking to Jordan Gates about their homework. Since she has not finished it, he decides to give her the file he's written based on the book he pushed into his head in the previous issue. In another part of the schoolyard, Scott Cavanaugh shows up to talk to Kinsey Locke and tell her about her father's name written down in the drowning cave. He agrees to show her. The two, along with Jamal Saturday and Jackie Vita, head into the cave later that day. After crossing a wired fence, they find a big room with a ledge and a downward stairway. Unfortunately, the room is flooded past Rendell's name, so Kinsey and Scott go into the water while Jackie and Jamal stay behind. Kinsey finds the writing on the wall. But meanwhile, a rat attacks and startles Jamal, making him fall down the stairs, pulling them and Jackie with him. They're all now trapped in the water with no way up. They manage to push Jackie and Scott up to the girders under the ledge, but aren't strong enough to support Kinsey and Jamal. While talking, Jamal convinces Kinsey to give him a kiss. After that, they notice that neither of them are stuttering anymore, and they're having trouble staying above the surface. They decide to pull Jackie's girder down and the ledge with it. Since the ledge is still attached on one side, they can climb up into freedom. Once they're all safe and they leave, Scott tosses a glow stick into the water, and the reader is shown the broken text on the wall before it sinks to the bottom and reveals a dead body underneath a pile of rocks. Here's my review. So it begins with Tyler approaching Jordan, who hadn't dealt with the head key so well from the previous uh, collection. She's resting against the statue of um, a Colonel Adam Kreis, whose inscription continues to foreshadow the coming of the shadows. The dreams and ideas of free men are as an army of shadows and impossible to strike down. Tyler makes up for freaking her out by offering to write her ethics paper. The scenario of cheating on an ethics paper is debated in cute fashion, and after convincing her, she quickly kisses him and runs off. 
He's not the only lock child getting lucky, as Kinsey is the recipient of a kiss by Zack, immediately followed by the emergence of Kavanaugh around the tree. Now, about Scott Kavanaugh. Okay. With Hill dabbling in the comic book genre, is the look of Kavanaugh a tribute to legendary comic book author Grant Morrison? Uh, specifically, I'd say his alter ego from Invisibles, King Mob. Now, I've mentioned Morrison before a couple of times and throughout the run of this podcast, most recently in the, the first volume uh, of my review of Lock and Key, Welcome to Lovecraft, when I um, gave a rundown of just notable horror comics that you can read, a couple of which uh, were written by your boy Grant Morrison. And I did not mention The Invisibles because it isn't a horror uh, book. There are horror elements, and it does, in a fictional way, chronicle his out-of-body experiences. Yes, I said that legit. I said that legitimately, um, without irony. Um, Grant Morrison is someone who that claims to have left his body, someone that claims uh, that he has been um, visited by interdimensional beings. He has a really cool take on uh, scorpion tattoos also. But uh, he wrote The Invisibles, and it's not a horror comic, so that's why I didn't talk about it um, during my uh, kind of rundown of the, the, the horror comic books um, when I did Welcome to, to Lovecraft. But it does have horror elements to it, and it's wildly imaginative. And basically, it's The Matrix. The Invisibles is The Matrix, um, so much so that he was a little frustrated when The Matrix was made. But um, but no, Grant Morrison is such a uh, titanic figure in the comic book world that I it, it, it's, it's hard to imagine that it wasn't a purposeful... Um, character design. Um, now, I, about Scott Kavanaugh, I don't know if he's supposed to be endearing, but he, to me, he comes off as a manipulative creep, um, especially in our current hashtag Times Up and Me Too movement. Uh, and this is really thrown a light on the like the, the narcissistic, whiny guys like Scott. Um, I mean, to prove my point here, he literally functions like a troll, bargaining with Kinsey for the payment of answering three of his questions in return for him luring her into the darkness of the drowning cave to explore the mysteries of the deep and why her father's name is on the wall. And in the dark of the drowning cave, we get uh, teases of the past, of the kids who have died, of the army base that was stationed there. And in the cave, they find a door that Rodriguez fully placed on display, a door whose frame is in the shape of the Omega symbol. And at long last, we have finally seen the door to the Omega key, the long-rumored black door. The fact that it's housed in a dangerous cave is ominous and adds a wonderful fairy tale element to the proceedings. Like any children wandering where they shouldn't, things go horribly wrong. As the stairs to the underground cave give way and all four kids, Jamal and Jackie included, go tumbling into the icy water. Without a way back up, they run the risk of freezing to death. It's a harrowing sequence and one of the story beats that stood out in my memory. 
the natural follow-up of the questions of what would happen if you purged your mind and body of all fear. It means you'd be careless and could die because fear is an instinct that can keep you alive. And Hill knows that the entire scene shouldn't be relegated to just fear. One thing about teenagers, they love making connections, and watching Kinsey and Jamal share personal memories and secrets is truly heartwarming. Like Kinsey's favorite memory of her father, him reading to me when I was little, we had a blanket, a special reading blanket. It smelled like him, like fall, autumn, football, whatever, like things ending. Oh my God. So again, going back, there's a ton of, ton of comic books out there and there's a lot of horror comic books, um, but there's no one writing things like that, that in this moment, yeah, you, they're about to die in this cave. There's a mystery here. But in this moment, there is a daughter thinking about her dead father and the way that he smelled. And Joe Hill is able to capture that smell and that feeling. And it's a beautiful moment. That is beautiful writing. The two share a truly sweet moment, a tender kiss, and Kinsey discovers a way that they can get out. But in the aftermath, Kinsey's lack of fear and sadness, replaced with patience and rationality, stands in sharp contrast to Jackie's emotional reaction of having nearly died. It's a wonderful choice, and it shows how dangerous it was for Kinsey to have removed um, those two aspects of herself. The issue concludes with the glow stick sinking to the bottom of the cave, illuminating the names of Rendell and his friends, who had scrawled friends forever. And ominously, the issue concludes with the glow stick sinking to the bottom, just out of reach of the corpse of Dodge. It's a terrifying conclusion to an incredibly satisfying issue. This, this to me, this is the issue that took what I really enjoyed as a comic book and elevated it to that next level. This wove in... I mean, we had already known that there was a backstory, that there was a mystery of Rendell's past... But now there is a cave, an underwater cave, and there is a corpse on the bottom of the cave. It just got more dangerous, darker. Um, it, the, the, the existence of this corpse and, and the near-death experience here, it places our current characters in, in danger. Something like it is, is hiding just below the surface of the story, much like the, the corpse of Dodge um, is lying on the bottom of this cave. Issue three, Tyler Locke is chasing after Bodie Locke as he's stolen his hat and hides under a carpet. Under the carpet, they find a key embedded in the floorboard, the size of an entire person. Tyler also notices a key-shaped window on the wall. Daniel Mutuku arrives at Key House as Nina Locke has contracted him to show him the key she found when Zach Wells um, talked to her the other night wait it said wikipedia says waked to her the other night later when nina's about to leave kinsey finds empty wine bottles in her mother's room and they have a fight about it in the evening while the kids are busy with theirs zach sneaks to the basement of the house where he finds the shadow key he uses on a door leading further into a crypt and then a crown he takes control of the shadows and makes the disguise shaped like the dark lady the shadows ambushes and start fighting the kids. Um, I'm sorry, guys, that, that was really disjointed, but that was the, the Wikipedia summary. Um, and then we have my review. The, the, the coming of the shadows continue to get teased 
as a lurching shadow creeps after Bodhi, stating it will kill him. It's nothing to worry about, nothing yet anyway. It's just Tyler trying to get his hat back. And as they're playing around, they find another key, a giant one embedded in the floor itself. Um, Daniel Matuku makes his return as he's been called by Nina to inquire about whether or not Brian's injury had anything to do with Sam and to show him the recently discovered key. The scene has nothing to do with any of that, however, and everything to do with showing us the potential of something, something between these two characters. Unfortunately, just as she gains the trust of Daniel, she loses the trust of Kinsey, who calls her out logically, remind you, with no emo- with, without the emotion for her drinking. It's a hard scene to watch from Kinsey's treatment of her mother to the reader's understanding that she's right to Tyler's interjection. He brings the stability of her father, of his father, trying to get his mother to talk about what happened to her, but she's not having it. And with tears running down her face, she can't help but take a drink. That night, the shadows stretch against the wall. Tyler reads Peter Pan to Bodhi, naturally, the sexual Peter's shadow, and Kinsey tries on a cute gift from Jamal and Kavanaugh, a life preserver. When Tyler talks to Nina on the phone, it's heartbreaking uh, to watch her lie to him about needing to be there for Duncan when she's out at a bar. With the adults away, Dodge takes advantage of the house and goes in search of the shadow key, which he finds after thinking like Rendell Locke, and with it, he's able to wear the crown of shadows, which allows Gabriel Rodriguez to go hog-wild in his imagination, illustrating monstrous living shadow creatures. Issue 4 from Wikipedia. Tyler Locke has been captured by the Dark Lady and the shadows that she's taken control of and is questioning Tyler about the Omega Key and the Echo Key. Meanwhile, Kinsey Locke has been captured by her own shadow, but she escapes using a bright flashlight and her shadow steals the head key. Kinsey then finds Bodhi Locke in the kitchen. Unfortunately, the shadows turn out the power and storm them. Since Daniel Matuku arrives, some of the shadows ambush him and use the head key on him so he's manipulated into leaving. They also find the echo key on him. Kinsey and Bodhi use the flashlight to steal the two keys away from the shadows. To stop them, the Dark Lady gathers the shadows to her and forms a giant shadow wolfman. When Tyler sees this wolf, he finds the giant key and uses it on the keyhole window, changes into a giant, and faces the Dark Lady again. This issue kicks right off with Tyler awakening at the hands of Dodge, who has taken the appearance of a shadow self-version of who Bodhi saw in the well. Now, this is when Hill and Rodriguez... So I've been talking a lot about Hill, but let's talk about Rodriguez here, because this is where Gabe Rodriguez really begins to embrace the potential of what can occur within the comic book. The sheer amount of shadow creatures and the supervillainy of Dodge create an incredible threat for our heroes to overcome. And as a result, this becomes the most action-packed story arc to date. And it's so fun to just, it's just fun to read. What's especially neat is that Tyler is tied up like the traditional damsel in distress, and Kinsey and Bodhi are the proactive ones trying to save him. As they use the light to their advantage, Daniel returns but is quickly dispatched by the creatures. The wellhouse key is taken off of him, and the head key is used against him. Kinsey manages to get the key back from the shadows, and dodged, enraged, summons the shadows to him to become a monstrous wolf creature. Now free, Ty uses the latest key discovered 
um, the one that he discovered, uh, he and Bodhi, becoming a giant in the process. Guys, we're about to see giant monster action. Again, this is an example of Hill and Rodriguez leaning into the comic book convention, and it fulfills the promise Ty had made to Dodge earlier. Issue 5, from Wikipedia. After having used the giant key to grow huge, Tyler Locke saves his siblings as Dodge, encircled by living shadows, is about to grab them. Tyler and Dodge then fight it out and end up in the sea, where Tyler lifts Dodge up so he's struck by the light of a lighthouse and the shadows dissipate. Dodge escapes unnoticed with the echo key, but Tyler finds the crown of shadows and the shadow key. Tyler then lifts Kinsey and Bodhi up to show them the view of the city. Later, Nina Locke comes back home and finds the house in a mess. Bodhi doesn't remember what happened, and Tyler's passed out on the couch. Tyler lies that some friends were over and things got out of hand. <laughs> Next morning, Kinsey goes to school dressed in the life jacket she got from Scott Cavanaugh and Jamal Saturday to Zach Wells' displeasure. He tries to advise her not to socialize with them. Meanwhile, Jordan Gates confronts Tyler about the report he wrote for her and got an F. Tyler's flabbergasted. Now, what can I say about this issue? It's just a great giant monster action issue. Um, so I, 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 I just refer to this as giant monsters. Okay, now I'm going to sound like an old crotchety, an old crotchety old man here, but um, I like the term kaiju. I do. I, li- I like the term kaiju. I don't have an issue with it, but um, I didn't use, like, I, I probably should just refer to this as kaiju action, right? But to me, I when I grew up watching Godzilla movies, um, or, you know, King Kong or The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, you know, wh- whatever the movie was, like, no one referred to them as kaiju movies back in the 80s and 90s, right? It's a more... You know, the term has existed, but it's only leaked into our, you know, our collective uh, vocabulary over the last 10 years or so. Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, I just always refer to them as giant monsters, right? So I apologize if I didn't refer to them as kaiju, but like it's just giant monsters to me. Uh, But here he'll he'll lets Rodriguez take the wheel and he takes us for a spin. I mean, these this issue, the panels that we get here that we're treated to, they're incredible of just two giants fighting in the trees in the Atlantic Ocean. Tyler using the lighthouse as a flashlight. It's just so cool. You know, I mean, for a series involving magic, this whole sequence is just straight up magical. Nino arrives home, never even having made it to Duncan's to, to find her house a disaster. And it's a nice moment, you know, for all she knows, the kids have had a raging party. Unbeknownst to her, they had a fight for their lives. And the next day at school, we see the positive side of Kinsey having no fear. She walks around with her life preserver proudly and isn't afraid of what others think. Dodge isn't just evil, he's high school girl level of evil as he tries to persuade Kinsey to keep away from the losers, Kavanaugh and Jamal. And our epilogue. Nina Locke is drinking and watching an old home video of her husband when Bodie Locke enters the room with a cut on his chin. Bodie notices the video and is watching it as Nina mends his cut. Bodie then tells Nina he got hurt trying to get a key down from above the toilet using her old cane. Nina then plucks down the key, and they find it opens the mending cabinet where Nina puts her old cane. Later, Nina, still drinking, tries to show Bodie how to juggle using plates. When she fails, she grabs another few plates and breaks them as well as the children watch. Kenzie Locks takes Bodie to bed. 
When Nina then goes to retrieve the cane from the closet, the cabinet, she finds that it's been repaired. She understands and puts the broken stool in the cabinet and finds it whole again. She does the same to the broken plates. She then decides to try it out with her husband's ashes. When it doesn't work, she gives it more time and she takes a shower and makes herself up. When she comes back, she sees Tyler from behind and in her grief and drunkenness believes that he is Rendell. When Tyler turns around, she has a mental breakdown. She cries and screams at him before walking up to the cabinet and breaks her cane over it. As she tries to take the ashes back out, Tyler thinks it's best to take it away from her, but instead they drop it. Tyler tries to talk sense into her, but can't. When Kinsey shows up and is rather harsh on her, Nina slaps her across the face. Bodie shows up crying, asking them to stop fighting. Kinsey puts Bodie back to bed. Tyler then gives Nina a talking to about how terrible she's been lately. She reacts with more rage and tells him that she wants him to get out of the house. After Tyler has left the room, she cries, falls to the floor, and says that she didn't mean it. When the kids clean up the, when the, kids clean up the next day, Tyler finds the Omega key in his dad's ashes. Review. So Nina pops in a VHS of Rendell. And as Rendell appears on the screen, we see Bodie staggering up to the stairs, leaving bloodstains on the wall. We immediately think the worst here, but when he enters Nina's room, we see that he's only scraped his chin. What's magical about this scene is that through the use of the VHS tape, Rendell distracts Bodie by juggling while Nina cleans up the chin. Even in death, they work as a pair. It's a really beautiful, understated moment. But the issue takes a dark turn. It gets really sad really quick. Nina tries juggling plates after chugging some wine during dishwashing and naturally smashes everything. She quickly discovers the key that fits into a cabinet that fixes anything broken, so she spends the day breaking and fixing plates and stools and canes. And you can see the tragedy of a broken woman attempting to fix everything around her, but unable to fix herself. And then before you can think of it, Hill thinks of it for you, and has her place the ashes of her husband in the cabinet. She begs him to fix it, um, she begs it to fix him and convinces herself it'll take time. She showers, dresses sexy for him, and when she sees a shape in the bathroom, she wraps her half-naked body around him, only to discover that's her son. She's shamed, embarrassed, and angry. In the process, Rendell's urn is smashed to bits. Kinsey, without any guidance from fear or depression, continues to call out her mother for being a drunk and even throws being raped in her face. Nina hits Kinsey in response. This issue gets really dark. For And keep in mind that this is a volume that collects... It's all about shadows, right? So a different kind of shadow is working its way over the, the Locke family right now. And it's really hard to read. Families can be very fragile things, especially after the deep level of trauma that this one suffered. It sometimes doesn't take much to break them forever. And it's heartbreaking to consider that we could be watching this occur with this family. So when Bodhi shows up and is crying for everyone to stop, it's painful. Kinsey stops Nina from going to him because she's in no shape, and Nina continues lashing out, telling Tyler to get out of the house. And he admits, in a moment of quiet anger, that he can't wait, but he has to graduate first. It's gut-wrenching, and the issue concludes with the children literally cleaning up their mother's mess, and fittingly enough, it's their father's ashes. They find the Omega key. So... This was a potent, powerful um, volume of, of issues here, ranging from just kind of fist-pumping awesome to heart-wrenchingly painful to read. And it just encapsulates just 
life and, and encapsulates uh, the, the strength of Hill and Rodriguez. And um, what I did not mention earlier when I was talking about San Diego Comic-Con, I spoiler alert for all of Lock and Key here. All right. Um, honestly, spoiler alert. I will get to the ending of Lock and Key eventually, but this recent announcement from San Diego Comic-Con is a spoiler for Lock and Key. So Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez are coming back to the world of Lock and Key um, to explore. I don't, I don't remember if it was a one-shot or a miniseries, but it's a miniseries, I think, to explore um, life post Lock and Key, the series. Um, with, uh, Tyler is 19 years old. Um, so he's still able to retain some of the magic and it's, I think it's about that transition of him, um, leaving the last vestiges of, of the, the magical, of, uh, the, the magic of childhood. And as he heads into adulthood, and as we know, within the mythology of the story, once you become an adult, you, your, your, your memory actively forgets all of the magic qualities um, that the keys bring you, which is just uh, something that Joe Hill's father explored to great success with it. Um, so all you have to do is uh, type in San Diego Comic-Con, Joe Hill, Lock and Key, and see what comes up. You can read the, the panel for yourself. Um, I will get more into this. Um, by the time I conclude my review of, of Lock and Key, there might be more information about it. But this is, this is great. I mean, I don't blame... Uh, Hill and Rodriguez for this. I mean, the the Netflix series will be coming out, um, so they should have more um, of the the source material out there for people to to gravitate towards or uh, towards. That's, that's synergy is what it's all about. So I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, it's it's a great. I trust them as storytellers. So I think that it ended perfectly. I don't need more, but uh, I do trust them, um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna poo poo on it. So, guys, that's all that I have uh, this week for Lock and Key and the Stephen King cast. And I, I apologize. Um, I didn't put out a review last week. You know why? Uh, I was way too busy devouring uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion on Netflix. Um, I the, the, the time that I should have been sitting down to re, you know record this episode i was just too i was too engrossed in watching that show and then listening to podcasts about it i needed needed to get to the conclusion of of that um it's an anime it's a famous anime that i i, I was sort of blind to i knew of its existence i just never i mean I'm not in the minority here. Uh, there was a lot of people that just weren't able to watch it because it wasn't actively available to be watched. Um, it was a blind spot for me, and so I just wanted to take advantage of of watching. And I got hooked on Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, crazy, wild, weird show um, that I really, really enjoyed. That was my show of the summer, I think. All right, guys. So. Um, I'll be back next week for uh, Volume 4 of Lock and Key, and um, I haven't even talked about the It trailer yet, so i got to talk about that too, which looks great. It's awesome. So I'll talk about that. Um, I'll read some new uh, reviews and some emails if they pop in, and I'll get to everything I need to get to next week. So um, 
Until then, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I'll see you here next week where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast. I'm watching somebody's world at an end And wishing that somehow we could love again Shadows of men Tell me that I'm wrong Shadows in a mirror Tell me that we're through Oh, and I I still need your love I can't see my love Darling without you Shadows